You're listening to Threads Radio. My name's Luke Fraser, and this is The Tonic. Hey, 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 hey,
If you thought you'd just chanced upon a lost Philip Glass work from, ooh, around the early 80s, then you'd perhaps not be altogether unhappily mistaken. That is in fact Daniel Lentz, the West Coast composer and visual artist, with the opening track from his 1984 album On the Leopard Altar called Is It Love? A longtime California resident, He's perhaps one of the better-known, lesser-known composers to have wet his hands in the waters of American minimalism through the 70s and early 80s, after which time his music has tended much more in the direction of New Age. Is it love, though, is in that much more minimalist vein? Or is it? I'm not sure he fits squarely into the minimalist scene of the big names from that period. His earlier pieces have some of the trappings of Glass's Einstein on the beach, Reich's 18 musicians, Riley's in C. They have the metoic rhythms, the gamelan inflected sound palette, the diatonic or within the key sense of directness to them. But whilst we've come to associate the genre, in the US at least, with gradual process-based development, the incremental change of a note here, an arpeggio there, and so on, that isn't really what is going on with Daniel Lentz's music. Beyond the surface similarities, this piece is really a series of superficially related but structurally completely unrelated and non-developing skits that are pulled out of a hat as it were, one after the other, 
without the sense of one necessarily having to proceed or be preceded by another. It's music that always seems to be going somewhere without maybe really going anywhere. And I don't mean that as a pejorative, but maybe closer in line with how Lentz himself describes his music as inhabiting a musical state of becoming. It's actually very refreshing to know and hear some of the alternative directions going on within and around the scene at that time. And as always to remind ourselves, whether writing or listening to music, that there are so many more approaches that can be taken alongside those of the historically filtered landmarks. In any case, it's maybe further towards bands like Talking Heads, early 80s King Crimson and so on, than it is to the classical world anyway. And music that meaningfully prizes the cracks between established genres in that way is always exciting to me. That was performed by Jessica Lowe and Susan James, vocals, and Daniel Lentz on keyboards. The album, as mentioned, On the Leopard Altar, was originally released on Icon Records back in 1984.
I have had that on heavy rotation over the past couple of weeks. That is the title track from Irish composer Alex Dowling's 2020 album Reality Rounds, which just has some brilliantly creative blending of vocals and electronics throughout. It comes out of several years of experimentation with electronic effects to extend the capabilities of the human voice, in particular the use of everybody's favourite pop production trope, namely auto-tune. You have to wonder if Cher's producers knew the Pandora's box they were opening up when she released Believe back in 98. And if we think about the shelf life of your average pop style, even if they do often retrospectively recur, then it does start to seem like a very long time to have lived under the shadow of such a particular production tick. But you no doubt don't listen to this show to hear me whinge about auto-tune. Back in 1998, it was of course a subversion of the inherent purpose of the software that created the iconic sound in a moment of genuine creative discovery. And in a sense we are full circle here. We have an entirely creative new extension of Autotune's capabilities. It's really also one of the most brilliant examples I've heard of the interaction between human and machine to create something that's neither wholly one nor the other. There's a continual balancing of warmth, even transcendence, and digital coldness at play, and a fascinating blurring between what is human-produced versus machine-augmented. The four-part auto-tune choir, as it's described, sing live, along with a synth accompaniment, with all the vocal effects taking place in real time via customized Bluetooth controllers. Several promotional performance videos for the tracks on the album have been released that are well worth checking out. So whilst we have a sound world that to me somewhat recalls Radiohead around the time of Kid A, Bjork's Medulla, or maybe more recently Wanotrix Point Never, there is something that seems fresh here in the real-time realisation of such sound worlds. At work alongside this, there is also a concept of sorts behind the album. It's influenced by the writings of Yuval Noah Harari and his writings on datarism, the mindset that he's called an emerging reality or even a new form of religion in which information flow is the supreme value. Through the album, the singers move from chanting symbolic playing cards in order to connect with the great data flow to incanting streams of information and thoughts ranging from the mundane to the profound, as heard on the title track. They also give praise for the vast data centers of the tech giants and sing hymns for Instagram filters and so on. All that, on paper at least, seems perhaps slightly contrived, but maybe only in the way a program note can always manage to render even the best pieces that way, shorning as they do the conceptual content of a work from the experiential lived reality of its performance. So that's me saying, I think, that the concept works well enough on this album in context, though I do wonder what the next steps might be from here. At any rate, though, it's just a brilliant musical experience, and here's one more to prove it.
That was in fact two interconnected further tracks from Irish composer Alex Dowling's Reality Rounds. That's God Raised 1 and God Raised 2. Built from two voices interlocking or hocketing via delayed harmonizers. Great pieces and I'm always a big sucker for that technique. All of that was performed by Emma O'Hallorahan, Anika Sokolovsky, Chris Douthit and Alex Dowling on vocals along with Pascal Leboeuf on synth. The album Reality Rounds released on Carrier Records in 2020.
the precision-tooled and continually inventive sound world of US composer and soprano Kate Soper there with the prelude from Voices from the Killing Jar. She's been likened to Lucille Ball as reinterpreted by Linda Blair and her work, both as a composer and performer, really digs into the dramatic and sonic potential of the human voice capitalizing on extended vocal and instrumental techniques. And her instrumental writing has a really nuanced aspect to it. The whole of that piece is just brilliantly crafted and scored. Voices from the Killing Jar is an interconnected suite of eight movements that speaks directly to the Me Too and Never Again movements. A Killing Jar is a tool used by entomologists to trap butterflies and other insects without damaging their bodies. A hermetically sealable glass container lined with poison in which the specimen quickly suffocates. The movements are narrated by a series of female literary protagonists trapped in their own circumstantial killing jars, hopeless situations, inescapable fates, impossible fantasies, and each occupying their own highly distinctive sound world. So we get Henry James's Isabel Archer, Emma Bovary, Lady Macduff, the French revolutionary diarist Lucille Desmoulins, and in the movement you just heard there, Mei Kazahara from Murakami's The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle, in which Mei speculates on the true nature of the force underlying human existence, describing how it influences her to commit acts of violence and cruelty. Dramatically, and considering its relatively wide degree of exposure sonically, the whole piece is provocative, but then surely that is the point. But the piece and the characters within it seem perhaps not so much to be lashing out at the patriarchy as narratively exploring the forces of oppression and repression that forge the situations they find themselves in. That was performed by the Wet Ink Ensemble. They are Eric Lesner, flutes, Alex Minsek, clarinet and sax, Kate Soper, vocals, clarinet, piano, percussion, Eric Vubbles, piano recorder, Ian Antonio, vocals and percussion, Joshua Modney, violin, trumpet, and Sam Pluter, live electronics and vocals. And it's taken from the album of the same name, Voices from the Killing Jar, that was released on Carrier Records in 2014.
completely hypnotic. That is the first half, maybe a bit more, of Sarah Henney's Spectral Malcon Cities, written in 2018. She's a young trans composer based in upstate New York who describes her work as being concerned with a range of musical, sociopolitical, and psychological issues, including queer and trans identity, love, intimacy, psychoacoustics, and percussion. A drummer herself, she started out playing in punk rock bands before gravitating towards experimental music by John Cage and Harry Parch and self-performing her own compositions. And she's now also active across the world of improvisation, film, and performance art. That psychological aspect she mentioned runs deep through her music and is very much in evidence with this piece. One of those aspects is clearly repetition and its effects. I'm trying to do as little as I can to make the thing happen that I'm interested in, she has said. But like earlier, we have here not so much the gradually morphing patterns of classic US minimalism, but rather the almost trick effects created by complex polymetric or polyrhythmic repeating passages. I was very surprised after hearing this piece a couple of times and then going through the score that many of the sections repeat literally multiple times. To me, the rhythmic interplay coupled with the lack of alignment or even any clear sense of where the downbeat is created a disorienting effect where I couldn't perceive that the recurring elements were in fact often recurring identically each time. There was a kind of cognitive blurring at work, I guess. For Sarah Henney's, these repetitions, occasionally pushed to punishing extremes in some of her other works, reflect what she has termed abusive behaviour directed towards a physical vessel inhospitable to its occupant. In as far as we do determine that things are, of course, repeating in some way, well, the piece is perhaps a callback to some of the earliest of minimalism's roots in austere experimental processes. Think Harry Parch, Lamont Young, and so on, before it was channeled into a new tonalism. Listening to a single repeated event for five minutes has the effect of altering your perception, she said. The event somehow transforms while remaining the same. And as a corollary, much of her work seems to be concerned with alienation and ambiguity with instruments altered, muffled, or played unconventionally, often via quite disruptive extended techniques. And that's very much the case with this piece. The idea of subverting identity is queer, she said. That was performed by Beethoven, a trio consisting of Carl Larson, piano, Pat Swoboda, bass, and Matt Evans, percussion. The album Spectral Malcolm Cities was released on New World Records in 2020.
I love the harmonies and just the general sense of poise to that. That's the first movement, Tenderly, from Rona Clark's Piano Trio Number no. 3, written in 2016. From Dublin, she belongs to a generation of composers who are starting to become better known in the European scene. And that piece, the third piano trio, is divided into two movements, the second being more up-tempo, and to me just displays a great sense of control over the material. It's tonal, or quasi-tonal at least, but there's just a hint of an undercurrent of anxiety running through the whole thing. That was performed by the Fidelio Trio, Dara Morgan, Violin, Adi Tal, Cello, and Mary Dalea, Piano. And it's taken from what I believe is the first retrospective of Rona Clark's music on disc. It's called A Different Game, and it was released on Metier in 2016.
time outside of time. That is processing the third part of sorts of Randy Gibson's epic three and a half hour work for equal tempered piano and harmonic resonators going by the name The Four Pillars Appearing from the Equal D Under Resonating Apparitions of the Eternal Process in the Midwinter Starfield, 16810 Kansas City. And yes, I will probably abbreviate that if I need to say it again. He's a US-based composer whose music often features just intonation and drone-based elements set in a highly focused, almost ritualistic environment. He's known for performances of extreme duration, but he's a protégé of Lamont Young, so no surprise there. He began his musical life as a percussionist, becoming heavily influenced by John Cage's percussion works and the alternative tuning systems he used, along with those of Henry Cowell and Young. He then went on to develop a set of his own tuning theories that he calls the four pillars that now form the harmonic and conceptual basis of all his work. His pieces usually comprise a small set of sounds that are rigorously and exhaustively exploited in the discovery of various overtones based on just intonation. Now, you may have noticed that the title of the piece references equal D, suggesting tuning in this piece based on equal temperament, the modern-day tuning standard for Western instruments that I've discussed previously on this show, which, in a nutshell, whilst being very convenient in some respects, is less sonically rich in terms of its overtones than earlier tuning systems like just intonation. Equal D is used in this piece though, as the touring of it would have practically precluded the continual retuning of various pianos in just intonation. So instead, Randy Gibson hit on the idea of using only the seven Ds on the piano, and so eliminating the quote-unquote impure intervals, leaving only the harmonically rich octaves that are identical across every major tuning system. Just intonation was then provided by the electronics. The result is something harmonically rich and strange, something completely non-linear and almost immediate in which any sense of development is in the micro details. It's a piece you have to work to tune into, pardon the pun, but the rewards are in the wealth of sonic inflections contained within it and in a sense of timelessness that is genuinely transportative. I would love to see the whole thing live, but in the meantime, there is that record, the four pillars dot dot dot, and that was performed by R. Andrew Lee, piano, and Randy Gibson, electronics, and the album was released on the label Irritable Hedgehog in 2017.
Just lovely. That's the second movement, A Heart Full of Your Thoughts, from Linda Buckley's O Iata Mara, or From Ocean's Floor, written in 2015. From the lovely Kinsale, County Cork, she studied in both Cork and Dublin, and has gone on to become one of the most prominent of a younger generation of Irish composers. And this piece, setting for ancient Gaelic poems about love and loss, is sung by Shano's singer Yala O'Leonard from the US Irish folk group The Gloaming. And Shanos translates as old style and usually involves long melodic phrases which are often highly ornamented and melismatic, melisma being the stretching of a single syllable over more than one note. That style, which Linda Buckley grew up with, is here combined with string quartet and electronics and reflects, I think, both her roots and her modernity. The result is a sonic and aesthetic world that suggests the gravitas of slow-moving natural processes shot through with not a little bit of melancholy and lament. Pastoral, almost filmic, and if you like the sound of that, then I do recommend the rest of her debut release from Ocean's Floor and that was put out on NMC in 2020. As mentioned, it was performed by Iala O'Leonard on voice, accompanied by the Crash Ensemble, with Linda Buckley providing the electronics. Thank you. 
that is nine found clouds nine times one written in 2017 by Jordan Dykstra a Brooklyn-based composer and violist originally from Sioux City, Iowa, who often works via conceptual, graphic, and text-based scores. He's also a well-established soundtrack composer, having scored the horror films It Comes at Night, Gus Van Sant's 2011 film Restless, and Penny Lane's 2019 documentary Hail Satan. And he's the string director and arranger for the Dirty Projectors to boot in Found Clouds, the inaugural release for his label's Edition Verdes series called Seeing the Forest in a Tree, he explores one conceptual idea across four rather different realizations. Alongside the vibraphone you heard there, there's also pedal harp, organ, and piano. The music was initially inspired by the microtonal tuning system that US composer Ben Johnston used for his suite for microtonal piano and it uses a series of what Jordan Dykstra terms cloud scale patterns. Rather like the extended modes that I mentioned a few shows back, the scales don't feature repeating pitches across the octaves, but are instead based on what have been called repeating interval modes applied to the chromatic spectrum. Now, I'm not entirely sure what that means to be honest, but nevertheless the pitches vary from one octave to the next, and each section features a sustained fundamental pitch above which other non-sustained cloud scale tones float with a sense of cumulus abstraction. It's an eerily beautiful effect, and one that to me is at once both restful and unsettling. It was performed by Jordan Dykstra on vibraphone and taken from the album Found Clouds on his label Editions Verde, and that was released in 2018. Thank you. 
some serious quirk on the album that's from that's jennifer walsh and the track the king poto and doville from dublin she's a composer artist lecturer and vocalist specializing in extended techniques she's been described by alex ross as quote nailing down better than any other artist i know the antic raucous confessional sordid semi-sublime texture of modern digitized life and he's also said that chaos is her natural habitat though that chaos is often counterbalanced by minimalist or drone-based textures that run quite deep through her music there is also often a sly storytelling aspect to her work in which she assumes a variety of eccentric alter egos the disc the piece you just heard is taken from purports to be by the Irish avant-garde nine-piece collective known as Groupat, and their biography will tell you that their work, quote, demonstrates a wide variety of approaches to sound, ranging from graphic scores to sound installations, silent musical films to sonic reliquaries, sculpture instruments to gowns for the sonic flaneur. And I will take one of those gowns myself. Partly whimsical, partly satirical, the writing and context do really bring these pieces to life for me. The King, Poto and Doville is narrated by Groupat's very own Violetta Mahon, 
who narrates passages from her dream diaries, along with what sounds like a rather dry piece of feminist literary criticism. Or maybe it's just the delivery in deadpan monotone, with all the punctuation removed. The album also develops an ongoing relationship in Jennifer Walsh's music, between satirising traditional notions of Irishness on the one hand, and on the other, embracing them through reinvention. She said, and I love this quote, we should be free to make our own folklore. And she's described how when she was younger, she wanted to run away from Irish identity, which at times can be so narrow and confining and politically problematic. But it's part of me, she said, and it belongs to everyone here. That was performed by Jennifer Walsh, vocals and instruments, alongside Black Buffont, Frida Ginger, and Style Kincaid. Are they real? Who knows? The album The Was Sisters of Theirs Wear was released on Tetpind Records in 2020.
orchestra in the digital age written in 2019 by sam perkin a composer based in both france and his native ireland who describes his work as seeking to create the presence of a feeling that the universe in all its wonder somehow makes sense and that piece orchestra in the digital age well as it says on the tin really it's a very subtle blending of sign tones with acoustic instruments to create a kind of third entity similar in idea perhaps to alex dowling's reality rounds the effect here is quite different though less overtly digital perhaps more analog in feel and i think it's his opportunity to do this with an orchestra that really makes it work for me those swelling textures that smear between pure acoustics and electronic noise just sounds so great on the massed elemental scale of a full orchestra he said what can the orchestra be today this piece blurs the line between what we expect an orchestra to sound like and what is possible and he's described how this process of blurring is quote an act of synchronization which makes the orchestra glow in a new light like hearing it anew and to me it speaks again of the ever advancing and complexifying relationship between our technology and ourselves it was performed by the rte national symphony orchestra conducted by gavin maloney and it really needs a record release in my view at the moment you can catch it on sam perkins youtube channel and that is it for now the tonic will be back on wednesday the 16th of march at 10 a.m gmt as always you can check the show's instagram page for confirmation the underscore tonic underscore and as always if you feel like getting in touch do please drop me a message via instagram or the tonic dot online thanks once again to meg to rosie and to everyone at threads for hosting i'm luke fraser thanks for listening <laughs>